Good evening, folks. Welcome again to another session of Career Talks. Uh, I am your host, as always, and consistently, Orlando Hanks. Uh, super excited. Uh, and I say that all the time. I need, I need to brand these or trademark these terms because... <laughs> Oh, here we go. I think my mic was muted all that time. So uh, welcome again, folks, to the uh, Career Talks podcast. Super excited. Uh, but always, always week over week, uh, try to be as consistent as possible uh, with this in bringing you, uh, you know, relevant content uh, for job seekers uh, that are, you know, from experts in the field, whether it be other recruiters, uh, diversity and inclusion, human resources practitioners, career coaches, et cetera. And I know I've been knowing this young lady here for a number of years. We actually work together in the staffing agency and she always uh, and consistently presented herself, you know, more of a boutique type recruiter uh, versus the kind of, you know, blast, blast over several resumes and hope one sticks. Uh, so I'm super excited that we, we followed each other's career uh, and, and stay in contact throughout uh, here on LinkedIn, and I'm able to get her on and talk to her and dive into her tech mind expertise about the market. So, without further ado, Miss Angelica Chadwick, how are you? Hi, Orlando, I'm great. Thank you for the nice intro. It was very yeah. nice, but yeah, definitely mutual respect for one another. I think all of these years, and I'm excited to be here. I've seen all seen a lot of your uh, talks, and uh, it's exciting to be part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So our time together back then. But before we get into that, uh, share with the folks exactly what you do uh, and where your expertise lies. Yeah. So, um, you know, basically I'm an IT recruiter, um, but I've been doing this for 20 years, uh, specifically in the technology arena. So, you know, recruiting can be a pretty crazy and hectic, very fast paced, uh, sometimes very unforgiving career. <laughs> um, but I I absolutely love it because I have a real passion for just, I think, helping people at the core. Um, and so when I can when I can help clients, companies, hiring managers and candidates sort of come together and marry, marry each other, um, you know, in longtime career opportunities, uh, you know, that's what I love to do. So for 20 years, I've been in IT recruiting. Um, currently, I'm the managing director of the technology practice in the Tampa Bay or Central Florida, I should say, market for Stephen Douglas. Um, and a little bit about Stephen Douglas. We've been around for 37 years. We are a boutique firm. We are the largest firm in Florida, um, although we do have uh, different offices across the country, different teams and different specialty groups. Um, but again, I, I run our tech practice here in the Tampa Bay market and um, really Central Florida. Um, have a really large portfolio of clients as well that I that I work and consult with clients on. So we have over 100 clients, I think, right now. Um, but we've worked with over I've worked with over, I can't even tell you 500 companies over the years. Um, and uh, yeah. it's probably the be most craziest time in uh, the job market that there ever has been what you say. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we are all feeling the pain uh, consistently. Uh, we are united kumbaya in this search for talent. Uh, but even more so. So uh, I appreciate you sharing with the folks, you know, your history. Anyone who's watching, feel free to comment, have a question for Angelica. Uh, we'll fill those questions out to her even after the broadcast as well. So um, the demand for tech talent, 
So where does the, from your perspective, uh, coming from the staffing world, um, I'm on the corporate side now, but what are you seeing in dealing with, uh, you know, employers? What's the demand out there and what it, what's, what's the landscape like? It's the highest demand I've seen. Um, I've, I've definitely over, over two decades of seen candidate driven markets. Um, definitely, you know, sort of the ebb and flow of that. But right now, um, everybody's hiring, everybody's hiring numerous talent, um, within each organization, you know, across from software development to leader it leadership roles. Um, you know, prior to even, uh, the pandemic that, you know, we, that started last year, um, there was a lot of companies already going through digital transformation, disrupting their industries, figuring out how to be number one in their fields. And that's really just continued and really elevated through the pandemic with companies trying to figure out how to, um, you know, A, move their workforce remotely when everybody, for the most part, unless you were an essential employer, had to do. Um, I see my little kitties walking around back here. I just lost my train of thought on that, though. Um, but, you know, with a lot of companies, you know, having to move their workforce remotely, um, you know, that heightened a lot of different roles and security and, you know, sort of infrastructure related um, uh, staff and talent. But then on top of that, the, the the disrupting and the digital transformations have only elevated if you didn't have a presence online or, you know, you're a retailer and people couldn't shop online with you before, um, you know, forget about the brick and mortar. It's all about e-commerce. And so, oh. you know, that's nothing new, but it's definitely elevated uh, in this world. Um, even as an example, I have a client that all they do is uh, they're a one-stop shop for faith and church organizations across the country. They actually build software, uh, ERP software, business software to run their business um, because they are a business uh, every day. But then I also think about when you couldn't go into a church or another, you know, an organization, they've got online streaming, you know, you, you don't have to go to church anymore. You can do online streaming via Facebook or Instagram or, you know, any other sort of platform, um, online giving and tidings. <clears throat> so if you think about even, you know, that one example, um, and how much, uh, how, how many more developers they had to hire and how many more, um, you know, quality assurance folks and web development, um, you know, individuals that they had to hire. So everybody is just on fire. <laughs> everybody wants to hire and, and the demand for tech has never been more than I've ever seen it. Um, I really, I really equate it to the housing market, which I think most of us are very familiar with, mm -hmm. you know, a house uh, goes for sale and it, can sell 20 offers in a day. It's so crazy. I mean, I've actually been on the market myself, my husband and I, since the beginning of the year, we had planned to move in uh, 2021. And uh, 10 months later, we're still here because every single home has 20 offers on it and they're above offer, above asking offer oh. and sight unseen sometimes. And so um, as I talk to clients and new companies specifically, and I ask them if they know what the landscape of the hiring uh, IT talent market looks like, I really sort of compare it to the housing market because every candidate out there, uh, for the most part in, in different um, specialties and, and niches, is having 10 to 30, 40, you know, the sky's the limit with recruiters reaching out to them. Um, they almost can't even look at their LinkedIn profiles right now. They almost can't even like get get distracted from all of the want and everybody wants. So 
the talent isn't really applying to any companies. They're not applying for jo to jobs for the most part. They're getting they're getting hit up by so many recruiters looking for that talent. Um, and so they have the pick of the litter. Uh, they have the upper hand. And companies are also throwing mon more money at candidates. They're giving sign-on bonuses. Um, they're, they're being creative with uh, setting up their office spaces. I have a client that offers $750 to every single new hire to boost their office space. Cool. Where, you know, for to, to make sure that they're comfortable in that remote situation. And then speaking of remote, although some companies are, you know, th t thinking about and, and talking about bringing their their people back into the office, um, not really successful with the IT candidate market. Uh, and well, and I think that's just I don't think it's real specific just to technology, but um, specifically that's the world I live in. So that's yeah. I'll speak to that. Uh, it's not really about COVID. It's just about the flexibility of the last 18 months that people have gotten accustomed to. And so if you're not offering that, you're also, you know, you're not you're not in the competitive game anymore. So it's just been really uh, interesting and a crazy ride the past 18 months and specifically this year. So just to put it in a little perspective, too, you know, as a as a boutique recruiting firm, executive search firm, um, I would say 20 searches is really good to be working on, you know, 20 solid searches. Right. We right. have over 250 right now. That, that's insane. <laughs> that's insane. Now, is that across the organization or just with what you're handling? Because I know we yeah. talked offline before this. Yeah. So so I have a team uh, here that, that focuses in Central Florida. And then we have a, a, a massive team in South Florida and Fort Lauderdale where we're headquartered. That's just a that's just in com combining our two teams in Florida wow. in the tech practice group. That's it. We're not talking about accounting and finance or HR, sales and marketing operations. Um, and we do have a retained search group. So it's not it's not counting any of those. Wow. Insane. Insane. <laughs> Completely you know, insane. In the beginning, you start, you know, you say, oh, this is a great problem to have. It's a great <laughs> problem to have when you're at 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 rolls. Wow, this is a great problem to have. And then you're just like, it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just can't. Uh, and, and we can't necessarily as a firm handle that many searches. So I don't want to also uh, mistake uh, anybody's thoughts on how we're how we're handling those searches and, and the mm -hmm. ability to cover those searches because to your point in the beginning intro um you know i'm not a transactional recruiter and our firm is not a transactional firm and so we're not just throwing resumes against a wall to see what sticks we are having very very detailed vetted conversations with candidates multiple conversations with candidates before they get in front of our hiring managers so we have to use um a, Specifically, I use an agile recruiting methodology to really help prioritize and make sure that we're delivering to our top clients. And that's just really the only way that we could handle um, that many searches. So while we have that many, we're definitely not covering all of them because all of them aren't um, being prioritized for a number of different reasons. Got it. So here's a question in terms of what you were talking about earlier with uh, the developers. Are you seeing more of a need in a specific area of tech versus, you know, like I'm going to throw some dated ones, you know, C sharp developers versus a .NET developer um, versus a Salesforce architect versus a MuleSoft architect? Like, is there a demand more in one focus or it's just developers across the board? I think it's developer. I mean, for us, it's developers across the board, but I say 
your .NET stack, which is C Sharp and .NET, mm -hmm. um, your Java developers, that's another lane. And then you've got what we call like open, you know, open stack, um, open source uh, um, technology. So Mern stack and mean stack uh, positions, which are using JavaScript for, you know, so they're basically JavaScript developers that um, have experience with like React and Node, depends on the front end or back end. But, but it really, so I would say um, the niche ones like a MuleSoft or Salesforce, uh, definitely those roles are heightened as well than they normally are because you see usually, you know, a couple of those and now you're seeing, you know, any company that is working and has Salesforce, Workday is another hot one, oh. um, you know, and MuleSoft and, you know, numerous different ERP packages and CRM packages out there that people are using. But number one, uh, number one is just developers in those different tech stacks that I mentioned. Now, are you saying that because companies are trying to develop a stronger uh, build their technology based stronger to be more competitive or just, you know, get ahead of the pace of, you know, the, the interchanging things that go on within technology? Um, I think it's uh, mostly it's adding a lot of new features. So if it's a, if it's not a startup company, which we happen to work a lot with, if it's not a startup mm -hmm. company that is building a new product and new, so, you know, a new uh uh, software application, web application, a mobile app, um, existing companies that, you know, have uh, been successful, whether it's retail or healthcare, finance, um, or, you know, pure software as a service company, everyone's adding new features and new features into what the experience is for a user like you and I. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're logging onto a, a portal for your doctor's office, right? Or mm -hmm. you're shopping online, um, everybody is very much focused on the user experience. And so that's actually another big, big hot one right now, um, or has been for a long time, is UI, UX developers and designers. And again, those are uh, creating a better experience, a user experience for how you and I navigate um, a, an application or a website or even a, a mobile app, for example. So it's a lot of new features being added constantly to just um, be competitive, more competitive, because the more ease of use you have for your products, the more you're, you know, you're, you're going to keep your customers and your clients. Got it. Got it. So when it comes to having uh, with pay, because you touched on it earlier, some folks are, you know, 30, 40 is, is pay, with that pay increase, people are reaching for a little bit more. Do you think that's sustainable? It's just like the housing market, like you said. So candidates are definitely leveraging that and taking advantage of that uh, for their benefit. So are you? do you see that being sustainable for these companies to, to be paying talent 30 plus grand over uh, you know, their skill set, their current skill set? Um. It's hard to say, to be honest. I mean, I think that, you know, definitely it's overall, I've seen salaries go up about 30%. But now in some markets, it's really absolutely unattainable for them to even hire talent. So as an example, uh, we have, um, I actually know somebody that I used to work with here in this market that's in the Chicago market right now, an executive IT leader. And he's having a hard time even hiring Java developers, as an example, because paying 30% more than they're used to paying. So I'll give you a figures, uh, 130, let's say would have been the average for a senior Java developer. Um, so now they're, they've, they've pushed that up to 150, 160, which is, you know, great. It's a very respectable salary for a developer. 
but there are some companies that have so such deep pockets that they're literally going up to 250 and higher for some of these positions. So in fact, he saw a post that I made on LinkedIn and he reached out and he said, yeah, I can't compete with 300,000 a year for a developer. And I'll be honest with you, we actually have some of those clients that are willing to pay that much. Now they're real specific roles. So it's not every Java developer or C++ developer. They're in, in, in uh, financial services, trading very complex algorithms that need to be um, you know, part of that person's uh, experience, uh, you know, strong, very strong math. You'd think all developers are strong at math and I don't want to make any developer mad out there. I'm not saying that you aren't, <laughs> but some are just stronger, you know, more gifted in that area. And right. you can work on more complicated um, development types of uh, initiatives. You're seeing prices like that go up. And so it's really. That's crazy. It's it's pretty insane. Yeah. You know, it's pretty insane. And what level of experience? I don't think it's sustainable. Right. That definitely not. I'm in the wrong business if that. That's <laughs> how <laughs> so most of my kids need to be in a software engineering. Exactly. Exactly. So just so those are the one offs, right? Those are the unicorns that are out there. And what level of experience? Eight years, 10 years, five years? Yeah, 10 years. Yeah. Really? And yeah. this is not a leadership role or is it just a individual contributor role? Individual contributor roles. Wow. Yeah. Which then they are making more than the leaders are. Yeah, yeah. And that's to be understood right now for the talent and to get the things that they need accomplished. Wow. So when it comes to, um, you know, just the inflation of 30 percent, let's, let's stay around there because that's more of the the common right now, which is it's weird to even say when it comes to the candidate, what are they looking for developers? And again, we talked about this offline. What are you seeing from the candidates saying, yeah, the salary is great, but X, I'm gonna turn this down because of X. Yeah, that's a great question. It's not just about money. Of course, everybody wants to make as much as they could possibly make, and that's great. But I think overall, I'm not seeing at least the developers uh, and the talent pool that we're you know talking to and placing on a regular basis. Um, it really has to do with the whole package of, um, you know, well, I don't even say package because I'm not even referring to compensation, but, you know, what is the culture like at this company? What is the makeup of the team like? What am I going to be working on? Um, developers tend to like to work on new development, new projects, new features. Uh, if you're hiring somebody who is just going to come in and keep the lights on and, you know, maintain a software application for you or a le legacy product, um, that's not as exciting. So you're not going to get really the top talent to, to hire. And I think for the most part, companies realize that they don't necessarily need top talent for those types of positions. But um, the, the ones that are really sought after and in demand, they're, they're really just looking for a better place to work. And uh, uh -huh. I put a poll out there on LinkedIn. It was my one and only one that I've done so far. <laughs> um, I had to get in, you know, I had to jump on the bandwagon. But, you know, it's really about the great resignation. And, of uh -huh. course, now I'm hearing, uh, you know, more of a term called the great reset. But whatever you want to call it. Right. I was thinking this this poll would turn up a high. The highest percentage would be on money. And it, it was actually culture. It was actually culture. Yep. So I think it's really important as a, you know, as a recruiter, uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm working with hiring managers. Um, not that I don't respect my beloved talent acquisition folks and HR, you know, internal recruiters at companies because absolutely do. And they're and they're a very important part of the process of hiring anybody. But we but, don't work on the projects. Yeah. 
Right, right. Yeah. But when I but I can speak to a manager and I can actually find out like why do you like to work here? What's kept uh -huh. you here? So, you know, like if somebody's been there 10 years, you know, why? Why have you stayed at this company this long? You know, what how can I sell the opportunity? Because the most important thing is selling the opportunity. I hate to use the word selling, but for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, um, you know, is because I'm a representation of that company. And so I have to really do a good job. My team has to do a really good job with really representing the company and being a true partner. And so that's kind of where you go from that transactional recruiting partner to more boutique style recruiting partner, because you don't want, you know, you, you don't want to bring a recruiting partner in. That's all they're doing is, is taking a job description and mass mailing, you know, mass emailing or mass LinkedIn messaging, you know, 200 people. And then, Say that part one more time. Say that part one more time. <laughs> so, so you don't want to, you, you want to be weary of a recruiting partner. And most of the time, companies don't know that their recruiting partner is doing this, but they're uh -huh. you know, taking a job description and just mass mailing as many people as they can, whether it's from their database, uh, whether it's from LinkedIn and not really looking for the best talent. Now, that is a time saver, I guess, but I've just never worked that way. And, and, and as a firm, we don't work that way, which is why it's a great fit for me to be at Stephen Douglas with my team. Um, but when I take the time to really, and the manager takes their time to meet with me, so we can really go through and understand why, are, why is this position open? How many people are on the team? You know, what are you going to expect from this person the first 30 days, the first 90 days, the first six months, year um, to understand those things, to be able to reiterate those things to a candidate? Really important because developers really want to know what they're getting into and right. they have all kinds of complaints <laughs> in their current situations. And so, yes, money can be there. Uh, you know, there there are people that are very underpaid. And they're they're seeing that or recognizing that now because they're getting inundated with a lot of recruiters reaching out to them. Um, but for the most part, they really want to be valued. And just like anybody else, right? We want to be heard. We want to have a voice. Uh, we want to understand, you know, what's our contribution going to be like um, to this company. And also, you know, what's the style of the hiring manager? I mean, I think it's really important when I meet with a hiring manager. I always say, what would your what would, it, what would one of the developers on your team, how would they describe you as a manager? And they're always like, oh, that's a good, I don't know. I hope they would say this or that. But I'm right. really trying to use that information to then talk with a candidate to excite them about if they're missing strong leadership or mentorship or uh, kudos from their existing hiring manager or company to be able to say with confidence and, and being genuine this is how this manager works. This is how what, how they value their team. That that means the world. So that will that will help replace that person from going for this job or this job at the highest salary. Um, recently, I had a candidate that I placed before, actually, and I worked with him before. Was interviewing with two of our clients, and he was more interested in one role over the other role. Uh, on paper, very similar, but he was more interested in, in one position because the hiring team that he was interviewing with was very was more engaged with him. Yeah. So that's the other thing, right? It's it's not just about 
the client and the hiring manager interviewing candidate. It's it's a two way street. The candidate is interviewing you, yep. and they have so many different opportunities in front of them. This is a this is a little small shot of what you know picture of what it might be like to work for this director or this manager and with this team. And oftentimes with developers or in many tech roles, you're interviewing. You know, there's a couple of steps in the process. So it's, you know, initial conversation to get to know each other, you know, kind of make sure this could be a good fit. You're interested in the role after you hear a little bit more from the manager. Um, then you meet maybe with a few of the developers on the team and maybe go through a technical interview and more conversations. And so if, if the people on the other end of the screen are engaged with you and, you know, you're, they're excited to be talking to you. That really means a lot to a candidate. And, you know, same thing goes for candidate interviewing. If you're not engaged with a hiring manager and manager feels like, oh, they felt, they seemed like they were bored in this interview or they could care less or they had somewhere else to go. That's not a good feeling for, for a manager either, but it goes both ways. It goes right. both ways. So I think it's very, very important that, and I have these conversations with managers that, that your team or whoever you're putting in front of the candidate to interview is doing a good job with selling your company, selling Absolutely. your team, selling the projects that you guys are working on. That's very important. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Lisa. Uh, Lisa. Uh, Lisa for for the uh, for the comment here. Uh, this she just. I'm just going to read it real quick. This is very timely. I was just telling a colleague of mine today that there are more Scrum Master roles available versus Scrum Masters that are actively looking for the roles. Obviously. Uh, told because recruiters are reaching out more and more on their LinkedIn. They're starting uh, with, off their introduction with pay benefits. And the new one of the things I've always looked at too was at least now, especially now, that that pay conversation should be in your first conversation, right? It used to be, oh, we'll, we'll get to that second, third conversation. Uh, but pay, you need to hit, you, be, you need to be upfront with the pay. Hey, we're looking at 100 plus. This is that this is a remote or a hybrid situation. What are you thinking now with that? Are you seeing more folks now? And we know that technology, a lot of folks can work remote, period, pre COVID, current COVID. And I don't even know the current state of Florida because we're both we both sit in Florida where we stand. But are you seeing a heightened sense now even more for technologies like, well, there's no really need for me to be on site. This is a fully remote work that's that's a non-negotiable or are you seeing candidate flexibility on that or and employer side either way i, I would say um 50 it's a non-negotiable like mm. absolutely they don't yeah. even want to have a conversation with you if this role is not 100 percent remote um the other 50 percent hybrid they just want flexibility so right. if it's a local candidate being considered they're okay with coming on site a couple of days a week, but they do want that flexibility. They want to know that they're not uh, going to be forced to, to do the commute every single day. Right. Tampa Bay, you know, is a good example of that because um, you know, with you and I both living here, Tampa Bay is very spread out. Fairwater, uh, oh. you know, there's a bridge to get St. Pete, there's a bridge to Tampa, Sarasota, you know, so um, you know, it could, you know, you're, you're, you're losing two hours of actual, valuable work and time for, uh, um, you know, to, to spend, whether it's with your family or doing some errands and things like that. So I think it's really just more about the flexibility, but, but like, like I just said, 50% of the candidates out there, maybe it's a little bit higher, but wow. negotiable. Like if it's, uh, if, if they can, and because so many have been working remotely. And so mm -hmm. 
you know, what I tell hiring managers too is everybody's gainfully employed. There's very few people on the market that are not working. So nine times out of 10, we're reaching out and actually truly headhunting candidates. We're not, um, you know, as a firm, we we have all the tools. Stephen Douglas pays for a lot of tools for us and different job boards. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, we don't really use the job boards. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to find the top talent for our client and those people are working. So, you know, what the message that I try to tell my hiring managers is if they're expecting or wanting or demanding somebody to be on site is everybody that I reach out to is likely not, is already going to be working remotely and they're not going to change. They're not going to change jobs to now come on site for five days. Um, but if it's a great opportunity and there is some flexibility and they do happen to be a local candidate, you know, then, then we'll have the conversation, but we, they got to know that there's that flexibility. Um, but right now it's not even about hiring local candidates anymore, right? With this whole change of remote landscape, candidates can be anywhere depending on you know each company i have some companies uh -huh. that will hire candidates anywhere they don't care where they live what state they're in what time zone they're in they'll accommodate if it's an eastern you know if the company's in tampa let's say but they're hiring somebody in arizona i always ask well what what are, are you going to expect this person to get up early to be part of a stand-up every day but they they actually work with everybody that's on the team where everybody sits because everybody's sitting remotely and they're all dispersed. And then they then they come to an agreement at what time they do a stand up, for example. Um, and, and I don't know if that's every company, but that is a lot of my clients. And so, um, you know, and then I have other companies that will hire remote candidates as long as they're in you know, one of three states or one of seven states because they've had people in those different markets. They've already set up to do payroll there. And so they don't have to worry about, you know, onboarding another, you know, kind of state and, and payroll taxes and local taxes and all that things that come with payroll, right? And HR. So um, that that's the other thing that really has increased the reason that their salaries are so heightened, right? Is if you think about it, think about a company that's in San Diego, California, that's used to paying for a developer at 200,000 a year. That was a norm actually prior to COVID in some cases. So if they are hiring somebody in our market in the Tampa Bay market now at 175, which is a 30,000, 40,000 mm -hmm. increase to what some of these candidates have been used to making or seeing jobs at here, the candidates winning out, they're getting a much higher salary and the company in California is actually paying a little less than what they're used to. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what are you what, what are your conversations like directly with employers, hiring managers on their time to fill? Like, is that conversation like, hey, is this a three step interview process? How quick? How quick will you be making a decision? Because time is of the essence with these candidates. What are those conversations like? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I'm I. I'm always asking uh, if, especially if it's a new client that I'm getting to know, what's the, you know, what's the process look like? Let's go over the steps and how quickly can we get through those steps? So um, I have, a, I have a client here as an example that, you know, has three step process, sometimes four and pre COVID uh, you, the, the final step would be coming in and meeting with a lot of different people in the organization. That was just their sort of style. Uh, you really had to meet with like 10 people after you'd already gone through numerous other steps. Um, it could take a couple of weeks to get through that process. And so 
because they are because they're listening to their recruiting partners and trying to adjust because they've lost candidates due to this lengthy process they put an sla out in the company that uh they will get through all of their steps in one week wow. one week and reduce that down from three weeks you know from three weeks which is huge um you know some companies are definitely short shortening their steps as well uh, maybe putting it, doing a panel interview, a couple people on the interview instead of, you know, one at a time. Because think about it, sometimes in the past, you'd come into an office, sit in a conference room, and one person would come in and interview with you. <laughs> and thank you very much for your time. It was great to meet you. Ne next, next, next. And you get it all out of the way. So now it's different in the remote world. But, we're, you know, I try to actually suggest to clients, even if we do it that way, if we can set the interviews up back to back and not spread yeah. over a course of different days. Right. So if they have to interview with three different people, can we do that one, one to one thirty, one thirty to two, two to two thirty or three and, you know, get through those steps and then do maybe one final after that, if need be. Yep. Make, make it a three, four hour day, just pack, pack the day. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, but but candidates are really, and you know, again, because we were talking about developers a lot, but um, it's interesting how many um, interviews they can handle in this remote world. So, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what their day-to-day -day jobs look like necessarily, yeah. but, um, you know, it is easier to interview because you don't have to leave the house and drive to, right. you know, to an office. Um, they're also doing coding challenges, though. So sometimes I think, wow, you guys... Uh, you're doing two or three different coding challenges. That's exhausting. So I've seen some of these candidates just go, you know what? I'm done. I can't, my brain, I don't have the capacity anymore. I'm doing my full-time job and I've done three homework coding assessments this week. And, oh, wow. you know, maybe they want to look at another opportunity, but they're exhausted from those types of interviews as well. Cause it's part of, it's a step in the process for many companies. So not saying it's a bad step in the process. It's just, uh, it's interesting how many are willing to do so many of these challenges and assessments so they can um, get a better position for themselves. Wow. 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 That's, that, that's insane. Like how, how, how common is that with the, the coding challenge that you're seeing? Oh gosh. I would say if we're looking at 10 clients, eight out of the 10. Really? Yeah. And at what stage of the process are they extending that? Typically the second step. So typically there's a first conversation, mm -hmm. gets in, you know, kind of conversational, a little bit about, you know, their experience, obviously. Um, you know, when they when a candidate comes from us, they get a lot of information already. We're I'm providing a lot of notes on the vetting and what they've done, you know, kind of what their role has been on, on different teams and different projects. Um, but so that first conversation is just more of a meet and greet, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, making sure they can ask, answer questions that the candidate might have that maybe we couldn't answer, uh, giving it a little bit more detail, getting a little bit more granule with uh, some of the tech talk. And then from there, it's the coding assessment. So some of them are timed um, as well. So, so that's interesting. Uh, I have a client that will send uh, we'll, we'll, we'll schedule a time when the candidate can put aside two to three hours, mm -hmm. whether that's in the evening or on the weekend. And then they get, uh, an email with the coding assessments and they have to return it within like three hours. Wow. Now that's not, that's not, that's, I don't want to say that's normal, not normal. That's not typical. Most, most of the times companies that are, are understanding these people are working, 
They're, okay. Then they're also putting their time into doing a, a coding assessment for us, which they appreciate. So um, it's all about communicating and setting expectations. And, you know, right now we have two candidates, you know, with just one role in particular that one candidate said, hey, I'll do it on Wednesday. The other one said, I'm going to do it on Friday. And the client's okay with that as long as they know, okay, this is when they're going to put the side, time aside to do that. Got it. Got it. And I, I just had a question too that it skipped my mind, but from, <laughs> so, oh, here, here's a question. So what's the feedback turnaround um, from a candidate when you're initiating because of, you said earlier, you know, they're getting bombarded from recruiters through LinkedIn. Are you, are you seeing it takes maybe three days to get in contact, four days? It's in a week. How fast are the candidates responding to your inquiries? You really have to be tenacious right now. Um, mm. And, and there's a there's a fine line there because I know like myself in particular and and really the way that our firm works we're not uh, because we're not mass emailing and we're not um, you know we're not bombarding somebody's space constantly to try to get them on the phone I, I don't know that that works really well uh, so it's it's a it's a reach out an initial reach out you know if we don't have a phone number to get in contact with this person it's a LinkedIn message right. Um, but because there are so many messages that they're getting and so many of these messages are, are, are just, uh, scripted and, and, and very impersonal. And so when somebody looks at a message from us and they see, you know, genuine, like we actually looked through their profile, we actually notated things in their background and experience, um, that, that does get them to respond to us rather quickly if they saw our message right, <laughs> right? so that's the that's thing the you're getting 30 you know a day in your linkedin mm -hmm. email um and then if you know depending on which way you're you're getting notified if you have linkedin on your phone if you don't you know that might yeah. come through an email do they check their personal emails all the time uh, again a lot of the candidates that we reach out to aren't necessarily looking they're actually right. They're keeping their eyes and ears open, but they're not necessarily having to leave. And so we are trying to entice candidates to talk to us because we have a great position and we, we are representing a great company. But so, you know, I tell clients right now, you know, don't expect to get a, anybody from me for, for a week, maybe. And and I want to set those expectations because, again, I'm not just going to throw 20 resumes at the wall to see which one sticks. I'm not sourcing for you. I'm vetting and having, you know, uh, meaningful conversations with candidates to see if they're interested, if they're the right fit for you and vice versa. So it could take us two or three attempts, sometimes more, to actually reach out to candidates. And then some candidates get back to us two months later, and wow. three months later. And. The position's gone now, but, uh, you know, because they just either, either they just came up and, you know, were able to, to get from under the water of all of the, you know, uh, messages coming from them, or they simply just kind of shut things off because right. it's too much. It's Got too it. much. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great point that you made that you said, we're not sourcing for you. I don't think I've ever heard, um, since switching, you know, to the corporate side, um, an outside agency say those words like and I don't think most managers would understand it they were like what do you mean you're not <laughs> that's what we're hiring you for but I love that you said that 
I love that yeah. you made that distinction between. That's really okay. important to me That's personally. I, yeah. I think you know that, but I think oh. it's, it's, it's one thing that I try to really emphasize with all of our clients and why really interviewing your recruiting partners should be part of your process. And I don't know that that's done all the time. You know, I offer a lot of information about the way that I work and our team works and our company works. Um, but it's not actually asked of me, which is interesting. Nobody actually interviews us to become, you know, a recruiting partner. Unless, of course, we're, you know, doing a retained search, you know, and then that's a completely different, um, you know, situation. But I always ask my, you know, I always like to ask clients too, if you, you know, have you interviewed your recruiting partners or are you reviewing them quarterly? Are you looking at metrics and not how many people did they submit to you, but the quality of people coming to you, the accuracy of that candidate, is that person a good fit for the role itself? Um, I've, over the years, I tend to be brought in after several recruiting partners have just been, you know, throwing resumes against the wall. This person's not even a fit. I got five resumes from this person. Nobody was a fit and their managers are frustrated. So then it also makes our job harder to try to partner with somebody because you got to prove that you're not like that. And the only way I could do that is, is to talk and explain how we do things. But, um, you know, until you get the opportunity to, to, to show, you know, how you can work, um, it's, it's hard to, to prove that because everybody says they're the best. Everybody says, you know, all the right things. But right. so that's why I like to say, I, I don't mind being audited uh, oh. by a client um, and looking at our performance. Um, you're not going to get the most resumes from us, but you're going to get sometimes the right one the first time. And that's it. That's awesome. I love, I love that you're saying that. That's, that's, that's really crucial. And I think that just shows uh, the different level of thought process that you have when dealing with clients. It's, it's a real partnership, not great. Got another contract signed, got them at the percent, you know, the fee we wanted them. Let's look at some, let's go to our database and shoot the first three over, not even talk to the candidates first, but just get the names over so they can sit there, then call the candidates to say, hey, got this opportunity and try to sell them. So uh, uh, that you just, you know what, Orlando, that's <laughs> such a pet peeve of mine. When I started in this business 21 years ago as a rookie, I I never forget hearing that people did that, uh -huh. like this bait and switch. Uh -huh of here's his resume, here's his candidate that we have, but no, the candidate doesn't know anything about what's happening. Their poor resume was on career builder or monster. And I'm dating myself. This is before LinkedIn. Right. So, uh, you know, and then it's, so it's a bait and switch. And so now, unfortunately the, the client is getting bamboozled a bit and then, you know, Oh, I'll, they want to interview this candidate. Now all of a sudden they're not available anymore. Well, they never had the relationship to begin with. And actually that leads me to what I have said to many clients. And I'll say here, everybody has a name, especially now with LinkedIn, you have or an org chart at your fingertips. Mm. We have the relationship. Oh, love that. Love that. Love it. Let me ask you uh, one last question around the candidate. So is it that they're not looking because they're happy? or because this tech world in Tampa is so so close 
that it could be risky for them if they start to throw their hat in the ring for a new opportunity? Or does that even matter? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't think it matters to most candidate, most individual contributors. I think it definitely matters in leadership roles. Um, I, I have, uh, quite, a, a, a large portfolio of it executives, you know, from uh, director up to the C-suite that are passively on the market, but they don't want they'll they'll never apply directly to a position and they'll only work with a trusted recruiter like myself because they trust that their resume isn't going to get spammed all over town because you never know whose inbox it's going to be in (laughs) um you know so so as i represent these types of candidates i always tell them and i give them my word and it's 100 percent true you'll i'll never spam your resume anywhere it's it's I don't understand the process of doing that anyway, because if I'm just throwing a resume all over town, um, how do we know there's a good match there? We don't even really know. I mean, you know, I guess you can entice somebody with a great resume and and some buzzwords there and, you know, in an email. But until you know all of the things, which that's why to me, recruiting is much more of an art than, um, you know, as well as a science of process and metrics, because you, there has to be a good fit and a good marriage. And yeah. you don't know those things until you know what's motivating a candidate, what they're interested in, what appeals to them. If I sent one person's resume to 200 companies and then a company reaches back out to me, wants to interview them, that doesn't mean the candidate's going to want to interview with you. So for me, I still sort of work in an old school way of picking up the phone or we're sending an email, but not with the resume, more of a, I'm representing somebody that looks like this. Right. And giving them a little, uh, you know, a a bird's eye view into this person's background and industry, why I think it might be an interesting candidate to consider. And also then finding out what's happening with that particular organization and their hiring needs, because just seeing job descriptions on their career page doesn't tell me anything about the job itself. I mean, I know the skill set they're looking for, um, but sometimes that's not even true. Uh, true. Sometimes you see a position out there. Uh, I'll give you an example. I, I've seen this happen more times than not. Somebody loses a valuable member of the team and that person's been there, let's say over five years. So the job description that is posted has to do with that person's role, the way all the things that they learned over the course of five years being on that team. But you'll never find that same set of skills come, you know, from the outside. Right. So, oh, this this is what, you know, gets me. It's I, I we're looking for a .NET developer and we're looking for some DevOps experience and we're looking for some automation, you know, testing automation experience. And oh, by the way, if they have Python, um, that's great as well. And so I oftentimes start conversations with, okay, what's important here? Because there's four people in this one job description, (laughs) (laughs) which that doesn't exist. Exactly. Um, I mean, there are unicorns out there for certain things, but that's typically not, you're not going to find that. So let's break this down. And oftentimes hire managers say, I don't know why that job's posted out there like that. I don't know why that job description is like that. So that's another reason why as a recruiter, you should be wary of blasting a job description like that out to so many candidates because 
the two the two thoughts from a candidate from a developer are or or anybody i don't want to just use developers but uh you know testers you know scrum masters business analysts data architects um business intelligence folks if, if there's too many things going on in this job description their first their their mindset is either is oh i don't i don't have all that experience so i'm not going to be a fit for that so i'm not even going to respond to the, the recruiter or well that company is dumb because they're trying to hire you know, five <laughs> people and you know they, they want five different technology you know skill sets into one person right. so then they get like annoyed and then they don't respond so right. It, right it's like you can't look at somebody's resume and know their whole story and you can't look at a job description and know the whole story there exactly yeah and especially when it comes to job descriptions it's this part of it is the crucial skill sets needed and then the rest is the wish list but what was uh, key that you said, and I, I don't know if I even said this publicly or just in meetings at different companies, is like because someone started, you know, five years ago and they personally grown that role and now like that's what we want. It's like, well, no, that person maybe did some personal development outside certifications and brought more to the table. Now you're saying you want that. And it's like that's five different people. That's two different people. Right. right. You, can't, you can't look for that. Like, like you could have hired a .NET developer on your team, and perhaps you had some PHP legacy products over here that that .NET developer. Maybe you lost this this other PHP resource, and so this one .NET developer, you know, is goes above and beyond. And I'm going to learn, you know, that that language. I'm going to learn how to be able to add some features to this, or maintain it, or you know, do some production support on that product. But I'm still a .NET developer, but I gained that experience. But those two things don't normally go together. So then if that you lose that resource and you expect a new person to have both of those skill sets, you know, kind of setting yourself up for failure. And, and you're also not representing your company and team in the best way that you can, because, um, again, the talent has a lot of choices. And if a role doesn't make sense to them, uh, you know, they're moving on. They're moving on. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many candidates uh, we talked to that um, today, in fact, I had a, uh, a situation where we have a candidate that would take less money for one role over another role that was paying more. But it's because oh. there was a lot more information that we could provide. That hiring manager has spent time with me personally to go through their pains. What what what's the reason that they lost the person? What's really happening? What's the future? What's the potential trajectory of of somebody coming into to this role? That maybe it's not su super sexy, but but there are other avenues for this person to grow. Sure, and, mm -hmm. But those conversations don't happen that much with right. between recruiters and candidates. Again, it's it's a quick and dirty fifteen minute. Do you check all these things off of a you know off the list? And what's interesting is candidates do allow themselves to be uh, interviewed in that way sometimes because they're just well, let me get in front of the hiring manager because they're right. they're dismissing the recruiter's expertise. But that's because they haven't worked with a really good recruiter yet. Right. Right. Yep. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, I definitely want to be mindful of your time, uh, Angelica. If you can't share with job seekers, well, I don't know if you even need job seekers calling you <laughs> or oh, share with employers. Share with, candidates. <laughs> <laughs> share with both employers and job seekers uh, how to reach out to you over at uh, Stephen Douglas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, please look me up and connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, just Angelica Chadwick at Stephen Douglas, but also my email address 
um, achadwick at stephendouglas.com. Uh, and um, you, you could reach me that way. I do respond sometimes not right away. Uh, you know, be patient, I would say, for anybody that is trying to reach out. Um, and, and, and also mindful and, and okay with maybe sometimes me uh, introducing you to one of the recruiters on my team. We're all very, very seasoned. Uh, the one thing I will say about Stephen Douglas is that we don't hire anybody that has less than five years in the business. So we're very tenured. We really understand the roles that we're recruiting for. We, uh, I, I say sometimes 20 years in IT, I feel like I have a PhD in technology. Yeah. <laughs> I know enough to be dangerous and have very meaningful understanding conversations. But um, it, just like the candidates are being inundated by recruiters, recruiters are also being inundated as well. Wow. Well, again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your friendship, your knowledge and everything like that. So as we progress, I, I wanted to, to bring you back on uh, in early uh, next year to see what's changed, if anything has changed throughout going through two years of COVID uh, and what that market looks like uh, now. But again, uh, Angelica, thank you so, so much uh, for, for coming on and sharing all your, your knowledge and expertise. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to spend my evening with you. I'll do it anytime. And I would love to come back in the beginning of next year to see where things stand. I'll, I'll be interested to kind of take a look back as well. And uh, I value you and, and our friendship as well and and just have lots of respect for you in, in the business and what you've done for yourself professionally. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hold on one second. I'm going to just close this out. Okay. Music.